Today's podcast is sponsored by Bradford White Water Heaters. Plumbing pros, when it's time to choose a water heater to install for your next job, whether it's residential or commercial, go with a product that is built to be the best. Go with Bradford White Water Heater. How you heat your water matters. Choose Bradford White. Welcome back to the Appetite for Construction podcast. I'm your host, John Mason Brink. I'm here with Tim Ward. Tim, it's, well, I shouldn't say it's Friday, but it is. Tim. It is Friday. Uh, Start of the NFL football season, week two of college football. And as a college football fan here in Illinois country, I'm going to the Cavaliers game tomorrow. Hopefully we win, but uh, who knows? Your managers are probably going to win. Well, you know, it's exciting for me, Tim. I get to see you in person next week at the Aspie Show, the Plumbing Engineer Show in Indianapolis. That is correct. Uh, we'll be bunkmates. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> God. Our, our guest may just not want to be on the show after that comment. Well, we're, we're really excited uh, to, to bring in our next guest. Um, he's got a lot to share in the industry and what he does. So let's bring him in. It's Paul Nebraska the owner of Nebraska Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling out of Monroe, New York. Paul, how you doing? Hey, good morning. I mean, I, I think I'm doing as well as you guys, except, you know, with football season starting, I am a season ticket holder to the New York Jets. Ah. And, and most people, when I say that, they say sorry. Okay. And uh, most of the time, I can't even give away the tickets because by December, we're, you know, 2 and 10, and nobody wants to go to the game. So uh, excited about opening day Sunday, but uh, not really. J-E-T-S. Yeah, I was going to say, Rich Kotite is not walking through that door right there. No, absolutely not. But it, it's good. And, and of course, they raised tickets this year. And I'm like, how do you raise tickets after going 2 and 14? You raise ticket prices. I'm like, come on. You know, you should be giving it to me for free. Yeah, that's the Chicago Cubs model. It's like putting, <laughs> exactly. putting a minor league team out there and expecting to, to raise prices. And, well, I digress. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Tim, I'm going to say something corny, but I think um, in this industry right now, plumbing and heating industry, we're on the precipice of something exciting. You talk I, about I like the labor shortage. You talk about supply and demand you know, supply chain issues, all these things, inflation. I think it's it's us as an industry, and Paul will talk about this, is to take this by the, you know, the horn and let's run with it and let's solve problems. Paul, you've, you've done a lot of things in the industry with the company. Uh, you know, we're looking at um, people coming into the trades and making a really, really good living uh, once they're, you know, they have their license, and I mean, it's just a great time to be a, a, a tradesman, a, a contractor, a plumbing guy. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, you know, ab- absolutely, John. Um, for me, uh, after 34 years in business, and um, in 1988, I took over my father's bankrupt business for the second time. And, and, and to, to understand, for me, what I learned from that, I was 23 years old when he went bankrupt for the second time. And 
one of my favorite business books, The E-Myth, you know, by Michael Gerber, talks about the person who's a great, great with their hands, but doesn't understand business. So they go out of business. And that, and that mm. was my dad. You know, he was a great plumber, great at what he did, but he should have never been in business because he didn't understand business. So for me, after taking over his bankrupt business, uh, when he went in 1988, the truck was already in my name. So he said, you know, business is bankrupt again. Me and your mother are moving to Florida. Uh, you know, you want it. And, and I said, sure. So I, I gotta, uh, st- I gotta stop you there. Were you married at this time? Oh, of course not. I was, I was living in, a, <laughs> in pretty much what you would call a frat house, even though I didn't have a chance to go to college yeah. with four roommates. Okay. And you know, more beer cans and you can, you know, if you can walk absolutely not married. I yeah, got I married gonna, real quick to, to the business. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say like, uh, I'm going to ask my wife about taking over the bankrupt business, see what she says about that. Well, but, uh, but, but I was working somewhere else because my mm-hmm. father couldn't afford to pay me. And, and this, and, and John, that's a great question. My first year in business, I, I netted $10,000 mm-hmm. and this was 1988. And I said to myself, no wonder why cars are getting repossessed, trucks are getting repossessed, you know, mm-hmm. bills aren't paid because uh, I can't, I barely supported myself on $10,000, let alone a family that mm-hmm. my dad was trying to support. So yes, 100% was not married, uh, had three roommates, uh, an old car that was already paid off. So there was, uh, it, it wasn't easy at the beginning, but it, it was fun. It was, it was hard work. Well, what inside inside you told you, like, I, I think I can do this. I think I can turn this around and be successful. Uh, you know, that, that's a great question, John. Um, it, it's just my drive. I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather was the first person in the United States to uh, produce macaroni and potato salad, uh, it, produce it nationwide. Really? Um, my other grandfather, yeah, my and they both came, you know, over during World War II. My other grandfather owned, uh, him and his brothers owned three cleaning businesses in New Rochelle, New York. So I came from an entrepreneurial family. And, um, but unfortunately for me, um, they both passed away young. Uh, my mother uh, remarried and the person he remarried was my stepfather, who was the plumber. So I didn't have a chance to go to college, but I still had that drive from learning from when I was young from my grandfather. So there was this never looking back. I never looked back. I just I just took the bull by the horns and ran with it. And um, to, and, and so you know to answer your question of what what am I doing now and what where I feel changes are and what changes I can make as as an individual to help our profession and not only our profession. I think what we do here. Um, really works with all professions because we all have the same issue. I don't care if you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. I won't talk too much about lawyers, but a doctor, a lawyer, um, it doesn't make a difference. A bookkeeper, an accountant, our, our problems are the same, right? It's financials. It's having proper money. It's having money to run a business. And it's also having employees. We all have employee problems. And so if we could, if we could fix those two problems, um, we're only going to help our trade and help everything we, we do. So during the pandemic, um, I, I took the pandemic as a time to look within and how we can solve these problems with, with our industry and, and any industry, um, really just to make a change. You know, that, that time off for me, um, you know, a lot of people say to me, how did, you know, how did COVID or the pandemic affect you? It affected me like other businesses, but it also, uh, also gave me time and a reason to go ahead and look to make change in, in myself and in the industry and in the company. 
you know, John and I, when we do this podcast, we have a audio version that you listen to, but we have a video version. So we have a video feed so we can see our guests. And Paul, I see you've got a professional setup with a mic and headphones. You've done this before. You mentioned you've got a, a radio show on your local, one of your local radio stations. So you're not just a plumber and a business owner, but you've become an editor, a spokesperson, a creative public relations guru, a podcaster, uh, interviewee. Where did you get the those skills? Great, great question. So this to, you know, this to say you're 100% right. A lot of it, uh, you know, came organically for me to do that. But but one of, the way I feel now is that I'm successful and I started with absolutely nothing is that now it's my time. My measure of success for myself is giving back. How I can give back is my measure of success for myself. So where I got a lot of skills and, and a lot of drive to do that, when I, when I unfortunately, I grew up in a bad household with my mother being divorced a few times. I moved out when I was 17. And that's that house we were talking about that I lived in. Um, I, I didn't have a chance to go to college, which was okay. But what I did is where I got the skills is I decided that anybody who knew more than me, it could be it could be anybody. I listened and I listened to them talk. And I I I like to say that I wasn't jealous of them. I envied them and I wanted to understand what they did. So I read any business book that I can get my hands on. Um, some of my favorite for the listeners were my my biggest one was Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people, took some Dale Carnegie classes. Uh, I mentioned Michael Gerber already about his e-myth and any book I can read. Um, I want to get as much knowledge as I could about business and about being successful. So that's where the drive came for me and the understanding how to get this done. About five years ago, I attended a, a seminar and they had a millennial talking. I think I've shared this story before, but they, the, the millennial was saying that, you know, we need um, to change the way we look at uh, owning businesses and how we treat our employees and maybe, you know, let's invest in a Netflix account instead of maybe a, a small bonus or something like that, or a gym membership or flexible hours. You know, when you started 34 years ago and today, how do you, you know, what's the dynamic with employees now? Do you, are you offering flexible schedules? Are you, are you thinking about, you know, how to, to relate to the younger generation? Hey, John, great question. For me, that is the biggest thing that came out of COVID for me. I, I realized that, um, to a little background on my business, you know, I started as one person in 1988, and we have 45 employees today. And so what I looked at, and our business is made up of, which is a little bit different in the industry, three main divisions. The first division is a service and repair division. The second division, we do new construction plumbing. And we, on a higher end side, so we found a way to make money on new construction plumbing as well as service. And then we have a home energy assessment division with with um, gas prices and oil prices being so high, we're going in and we'll do insulation. We, we hire people to do it and we'll make sure that you're saving money on your fuel bill. So I, the problem I had, and I looked at this COVID was not only did we lose employees because of COVID, but we, I also, there was more of a disconnect to our employees during COVID. And I said to myself, there's got to be a way, and I thought there's got to be a way where we can connect more with employees. 
not only were we having trouble hiring employees, I was also having trouble keeping employees with the great with the great change. And this is the time where people are leaving their jobs more than ever. And I, I, I thought to myself, there's a way to do this. And it's employee engagement. And, and that we didn't really have to do 20, 30 years ago because the millennial, which I have no problem with millennials, right? We have to understand that there are customers now and there are employees now. So it's not, it's not that we don't have to work. Um, it's not that the millennials have to do what we tell them to do or want them to do. We have to understand what a millennial wants and needs in order to be successful um, business owners. We, we just do. They're our workforce at this point. I don't, so I looked into it and I said, employee engagement is what I'm missing in my company. Um, there are guys who work in my construction field that I don't see for six months at a time because they go right to the job. That's not right for them. And that's not right for me. And then with my office staff starting to work from home, I, I didn't get to see my office staff. So I needed, I needed to do. So what I did is I decided that I am going to look at it this a totally different way. How much money was I spending per year on putting help wanted ads in, losing employees that I trained for three or four months, but I didn't uh -huh. engage them properly and they uh -huh. left? It was tens and tens of thousands of dollars. I think in 2020, it was like $48,000 when I figured it out of, of between ads and losing employees that you train. So I hired somebody that I met at Rotary. I was sitting at Rotary and a, a wonderful person, Tina, um, had just told me that she had just lost, um, was changing careers after 30 years. And we spoke for a while and a little bell went off in my head and I hired her as my employee engagement specialist. And her job only, her job only was to engage our employee, our, our workforce. And so we came up with a program on how to do that. And we could talk a little bit about that, the points that we're doing. And believe it or not, in the six months she's worked here, it's totally turned around us hiring people and both keeping people. And it's, it's amazing. We are no longer having trouble hiring people. And we are no longer just important having trouble um, keeping people engaged. So that is, and, and that was one of the great things that came out of the recession for me. It gave me a little time at home when we were slow to think. Yeah. Uh, you I know, how to handle that problem. I am interested to know, like, what, when you say engagement, what does that mean? Or what, how are you engaging with, with your employees? Or how did that new yeah. position fulfill that? Yeah. So, so it, it's very interesting. So our employee engagement with, with Tina, which was really a new position for her that me and her sat down and created. We spent hours creating position. What I felt, first thing is, when you hire somebody, they have their boss in the field or their boss in the office, the direct manager, and they have me. Generally, a lot of times, you don't fully trust that manager, that if you have a problem going on, or you're not happy to go to the manager, you feel there, there's a distrust sometimes out there, and they don't get to see me enough. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm running a business. I, I do spend a, a considerable time away from the business. And so first thing I want to do is have her be that go-between the person that my employees can trust between me and their managers, that if there's an issue that they can go to and say, Tina, you know, I'm not happy at work or before they would leave or handle that issue before it came. So the, the first part of the engagement, the first part of engagement, Tim and John, starts with onboarding. So when, when, that, when that employee who's new and comes in and onboards, the first thing they do is they onboard with my person from Human Resources, which in a small company is also my bookkeeper, you know, my, my accounting manager. Then they onboard with Tina. And the onboard with Tina has nothing to do with, with anything about 
I am here for you. If you have an issue at home, if you have, if you, if you have an issue at work and you're afraid to go to your manager, come to me first. I'm the person who's going to handle that for you or help you handle that. And I'll walk into Paul with you. I'll walk into Kevin, your manager with you. So that was the first thing we came up with. And that is working fantastically. So instead of, you know, instead of how, instead of the person getting upset and quitting, they, we now have that go between to get this problem handled before we go in. So, so that was the first thing we did. Um, she also developed, now we have our employees who have been with this for a while and we want to keep. She developed a survey and every, she sent that survey out to every one of the employees that the, the new employees took the survey. They sent the survey to the other 40 people that we had employed at the time. And that survey asked them things like, what is your favorite movie? What is your favorite candy? What can we do for you? What are your likes and dislikes? What do you want to learn? What, what do you want to learn, not only in this business, but say in, in your own life, what can we help you with? Um, so the employees understood, and we understood so much more about the employees that we needed to know. So she, she took that and ran with it. So one of the other things we do is now she has a Every, every other month, she checks in with an employee. So every two months, that employee comes after work or over coffee, whatever it could be in the morning, whatever is easier for that employee, and, and they talk. And, they, and without me, they all at first, they didn't trust her. They thought it was this, oh, the boss is hiring somebody else to watch us again, right? And, and, they, and, and Tim and John, they didn't trust that employee, trust, trust Tina, but now she has their full trust. So what, what she does is every other month, she talks to an employee and finds out what's going on inside. It's, it's not about work. It's not about, oh, how, you know, how much money you made for the company today. A little bit of that comes up. It's what's going on in your life. Is, is there something going in your life? Is there something we can help you with? Is there something you want to train? Is there something at work that you're not satisfied with? And, and we found that that employee just finding out that we care about them. And she just doesn't take it. She handles it. So, so that was the second thing that, that Tina and I put in place. Um, little things like what kind of candy do you like? When, when they come into her office, it could be a candy that's hard to find. You know, that's a 20-year-old candy. She finds it on Google and she hands the guy the bag of his favorite candy. It's, it's, and literally they take pictures of it and send it to their wives or girlfriends to understand, Hey, look, they care about me. She listened what my favorite candy are, or she'll give them a gift certificate to their favorite restaurant, you know, when they come in. So to, to understand, um, that we care about them. So there's some more, I don't know if you have some questions, but there's more that we do, um, as employee engagement, but go ahead, Tim. I, I, oh, wanna, I was going to say, that's a great way to create company morale, a a, a positive business culture, creates trust and pride in the technicians on the job sites uh, because they want to be strong employees and build a team work from within. And and I applaud you on, you know, doing something like that. Absolutely, Tim. And and that is what what, what I realized. And, and again, when I started with how much money does it cost us to lose an employee? How much money does it cost us to advertise for an employee? And how much money does it cost us to train an employee that, le- that leaves? So and talking about team. So I, I'm, I'm great that you brought that up. 
I thought we had great team spirit and I thought that the team understood what we do as a company and, and as a person, you know, we have our own, I have my own Nebraska foundation, which we can talk about later, which is, which is really what I work most to now in my day. But we, we, I thought that our team understood the stuff that we did for charity and understood what we did, but we weren't getting the point across to them properly. We really weren't right. That, that, that we care and, and they should care. So another, another thing that we did, is we started something, um, Tina started a company newsletter. So another thing is we make a lot of decisions back here at the office and there's different divisions, but the guys are out there working, worried about their work, worried about their pandemic. What's going on? When's our next job coming? Why'd we hire this new guy? Is this new guy going to take my job? You know? And so now monthly we send out a newsletter and everybody, and it's really explaining to them what we are doing and what's going on with the company to keep them involved in the day-to-day. So that was, And that was Tina's idea. That was a great idea we came up with. With that, we wanted to create that team culture. So we came up, and it cost us a lot of money. It really does. We came up with a concept called First Friday. So every first Friday of the month, we, we shut the company down, or if we have some calls, we let the guys work for two hours to get our jobs, you know, the jobs, the customers that need things done. And at 11 o'clock, um, all 45 employees, including the office employee, come back to the office, and we have what we call First Friday. We have tents set up at back. We got basketball court. We got we got um, cornhole. Um, I barbecue for everybody. It's my way of saying, hey, I'm giving back to you. I serve everybody. Okay, and and we have and we just have a great and generally we'll do that with a team building event. Um, so this past First Friday, we um, did what we called the PVC challenge. So what we did was we, if you ever watched Survivor, um, we, I gave, I didn't tell anybody, I picked two team captains for each team. They didn't know they were going to be team captains. We gave them a sealed envelope and I picked, I picked the people who were going to be on their team, right? I didn't want it like gym class where you're the last person picked and I don't want guys to pick their friends. So we did, we did a PVC challenge and what we came up with as, a, as what me and Tina came up is we wanted to do a dunk tank made out of PVC. And the winner of this PVC challenge would get to uh, dunk me or any manager they pick. I did remind them that I signed their paychecks that it would be a little better to dunk their manager. And um, so what we what we did is we gave them right after lunch. I handed them their envelopes. Uh, we handed out with their teams. We handed everybody different color bandanas to let them know their teams. And we gave them fifteen minutes. And the criteria was. Not, any, not really who can build it the best, but who can work as a team the best and get all 20 people on our team working. And we judged it. And it, was, it turned out, and, and the winner was, the winner got two things. The winner, we're having um, another team event. We're having, um, at a local airport, um, United Way is having a plane pull where you get to pull a 727. And it's for cancer. It's not United Way. It's a American Cancer Society. And the winner got a $500 in their winning team in their name to the cancer, to this plane pole. And besides being able to dunk me. And, and the second tank is going to a charity so they can use it at a charity function to make money. And that team also got to take the second dunk tank and decide what charity they wanted to give it to. And that team building, uh, Tim, was amazing to watch these guys build watch these guys make their own teams. And what I made sure is I made sure to put each guy on a team who hadn't worked with each other before. 
So I made sure to put the service guys with the construction guys, the construction guys with the home energy assessment. And it was so hard to judge, but I had to pick a winner because I believe in winners. Okay. I don't believe in second place. I don't believe in the uh, participation trophy. So my whole office staff is saying, no, somebody has to win. So that's another thing Tina put in place is, you know, how are we going to do team building? And we got the plane pull coming up um, next month where we're going to, you know, pull a plane for charity. So, um, yeah, team is really important. That's another thing we learned is to, is to call ourselves for team and make a team. Well, I don't know how to ask this next question without, without getting political, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, you know, we mentioned that the, uh, you know, the trades offer a great living and a great salary and uh, you can't really outsource the work. You know, you're always going to have work even during the pandemic, you know, it was exemplified that we're still working. Um, There's paid apprenticeships while you're, you know, you're learning the craft and the trade. And then there's no student loans to pay back. And now we have no student loans to pay back when you're going to college. So do you think that hurts the trades? So when I started the Nebraska Foundation three years ago, I, I looked like I looked at a, a person like myself, right, who moved out of the house when he was 17, didn't grow up in a loving, caring household. I hope mom and dad aren't listening to this at this point, but you know, it's fine. We reconciled. And um I I had to work and I had to go to work. And from interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people over the years, I found out there were many people like myself who the high schools were missing, right? They, the person who didn't want to go to college or the person who wasn't a high, didn't get great grades like I did in my own school because I had a bad family life or the person who needed the money and had to work at night, um, had to work at Dunkin' Donuts, were being overlooked by the schools. And I wanted to help that young person, that young person who didn't have the money to go to college, didn't want to take out loans, but didn't even want to go to college. But the schools were overlooking them. So what the Nebraska Foundation does is we're, we are finding that young person and we are, we are giving scholarships for any type of two-year trade school. And I'm not only, John, I'm not only talking and, and understand, it's not plumbing, it's not electric, it's HVAC. We would like them to be that. Vet tech, um, phlebotomist, big word. Uh, if you want to learn how to use cat, you know, cat scan or a cat, you know, and any medical, a lot, a lot of these medical professions that pay very well are two-year scholarships, two-year, I'm sorry, two-year schools. Um, so that's the child or the kid we're looking for. What we also found is that is the person that's not open to any other scholarships because every other scholarship that I looked at, they wanted high SAT scores. They wanted high achievers, people who are helping the community, people who are captains of their team, people who have um, great um, grade point average. My None of that is a criteria for the Nebraska Foundation. All, my only criteria is have a conversation with me and my wife who started this foundation with me. Understand what you're looking for. And be and and it's been fantastic. So yes, now that they're giving away free education, you're just sending people to school to who should have never went in the first place. Okay, so it you know and 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 let's speak honestly. It irritates me for me who worked eighty hours a week to build a business so I could pay for my children who did want to go to college, right? So so it's just a slap in the face to every hardworking person out there who paid off their college education. So it, it's it's a very sore point with me. And I'm glad you brought it up, <laughs> but but that is what my foundation 
uh, you know, our foundation, I can't say mine, my wife's and I is really looking to do. And we started three years ago and it's been absolutely fantastic. And, and if you have a minute, um, I'd like to talk about, you know, one winner we had just last year who exemplifies, you know, what we need in this trade. Do you, do you mind if I go into, yeah. you know, to, uh, no, sure. so th- this local gentleman um, came to this country four years ago from Haiti legally and during the earthquake, he was 18 years old and his father had passed away. It was his mother and five brothers and his sisters came to this country, didn't speak any English whatsoever, but wanted to be the first person in his, his family who went to high school. He started our local high school, spoke no English. Ha- at night, he had to work at Dunkin' Donuts to be able to help support his family and help support his mom. He ended up doing fine in high school, but wouldn't qualify for any other scholarships because his, his you know, he couldn't take the SATs at that point. His grades weren't great. He was working nights to support his family. But, but we, so to take a step back, part of what I'm doing about giving back I go in and speak to schools. So I spoke to all, I speak to all our local C-Tech. I speak to, I go into high schools and speak. I go into junior high and speak. I generally do about 10 to 15 speak engagements a year. I would do more if they would let me in, but some schools don't want to hear that you don't have to go to college. I have to tell you that's been a real big pushback with me. Um, so I had to tone it down. So I found out um, through one of my speaking engagements that this gentleman wanted to be a welder. He wanted to be an underwater welder. and he came, he spoke to us, and he was, he was a recipient of our scholarship. And think about this person who would have just been lost. Nobody else would have given him a scholarship to go into a trade. They would have pushed him to college, okay, which, so, which he did. He is going to welding college, but we gave him that scholarship. We gave him that chance to succeed. And that is the person I'm looking for, the person that might have a bad childhood, might not excel in school because school is not for them. And, and that's, I feel, what we need to do more in this trade help the person, help people. And, and, and really in our industry, really in the world is, you know, I'm successful. Now it's my time to give back. Well, I love it because I've, I've sat on committees where um, we've, we've judged uh, candidates for scholarships and you're right. I mean, it's GPA and, you know, the extracurricular stuff and the, the, the community involvement. And you just mentioned a guy that, you know, he was, working 80 hours a week just to make ends meet and he can't do all that stuff. So good on you for, for providing that, um, that opportunity for him. To me, to me, those scholarships do need to go out for the great excelling kid, Yeah, but you can or figure out about the person who can excel maybe as a learning disability, but, but those are the people that our country is missing that, that were, and, and, and our trade. So um, another great example is this year's one of this year's four recipients, came in, wrote us a letter, and I'm telling you in his essay, we do ask for essay, every other word was spelt wrong. He couldn't complete a sentence. I said to myself, this person was lost in high school. He did not even learn how to read and write. Great, great kid. Reminded yeah, me myself. It's not you know? that he's just you know lazy and didn't want to fill it. I mean, he just probably didn't know how to spell the words, you know? And, and the school let him down because let's face it, low-hanging fruit. Okay, it's a lot easier. I am not putting down our schools, and this is what they think when I want to come in. Low-hanging fruit. You have teachers that are, have tough jobs. You have guidance counselors that have tough jobs. You have um, schools that might be overcrowded, and it's low-hanging fruit. So they're going to gravitate to those kids 
who are easier to teach and who are doing well and, and doing well. So what gets lost? It gets lost a kid who might need a little bit more help. So he, he came, he came to us. It, I, I showed up, I had a, I had a talk the other day and I crossed off his name. I showed, I showed off his thank you letter where he, he spelled scholarship wrong three times. Okay. I can't, I can't spell myself. I didn't learn. I, I wasn't a great student, but, but he wanted to become a line worker, electric line worker, you know, on, on the lines and nobody was there giving a scholarship. I couldn't wait to give him a scholarship. That is the type of person who this people are pushing into college, but college is not for him. Okay. High school wasn't for him. Um, so, um, to answer your question, I'm not telling you the people who, who do great GPA and do great things at school and great things in the community aren't deserving of these scholarships, but we're missing all the people who have reasons they cannot do that. And that's what the Nebraska Foundation's about. Paul, you've given us a lot of examples and shared that with our listeners. You know, you're a, a business owner with 40 to 50 employees. A lot of our audience have, you know, four to 10 employees, regardless of what size your business, what I'm hearing is regardless of the size, get out there and help do something to help your business and the community that you live in. Be, be the leader in your community if you can. Uh, and to be honest with you, Tim, and, 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 and that's a great question to me. You know, we grew organically over 34 years and I was that company with one employee and two employees and three employees. And, and to be honest with you, I wish I started this stuff when I had one or two or three employees. It was easier. I could see them day to day. I could engage more with those employees. Yes, I had less time to be a community leader. I'll be honest with you. I, of course I did. But the point is, as far as engagement, if I think if I would have started this engagement process, maybe it wasn't needed 20, 25 years ago, 10 years ago, I would have grew organically a lot quicker. I, so I think for the smaller company right now who's hurting for that employee and, and wants to say, hey, I can't hire somebody and nobody's staying with me, look at it from a different view. Look at it how we can engage that employee now and, 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 and find out what they need and, and find out a little bit more about them and, and become a mentor to them. And, and you will see that, that your company will grow better. So great question. I think it's easier in some way for a smaller company, Tim. Paul, if somebody's interested in reaching out to you to, you know, throw some stuff at you to get some of your insights, um, I'm guessing you're willing to be a mentor. Is there some way they can reach out to you? Uh, absolutely. It, you know, um, info at nebraskiplumbing.com is, is, our, is our email. And, and for anybody, and, and I really truly believe it goes to all businesses. It, it we're, listen, this is a trade that we picked and that we love and that you're helping with and now I'm in. But really, I see the problem of all businesses across the spectrum. We're all having the same issues. So some of the things I feel we can all help each other, and that is the problem with our, our industry in, 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 in particular. You know, plumber or HVAC guy in the same town doesn't want to talk to each other, doesn't want to go in the same seminar. No, no. What, what, what you have to understand as a small business is good competition is better than bad competition. Right. So I learn from my good competition. My good competition pushes me. It also makes our field better. And, you know, when, when there's less guys out there with the butt crack and there's less guys with, you know, doing the right job, it makes our profession better. 
Okay, so yes, uh, Info Nebraska Plumbing, not only will I talk to you, will I mentor you, um, I, I did a lot of that when I was in PHCC, when I was in QSC, I was on the board member, I, I was on the Kohler um, plumbing board for six years where I worked with Kohler, um, you know, and we understand Herb Kohler just passed away, great loss in our industry. Um, I, I, I want to help these people. And if people are listening, um, I will come out and talk to your school. I, I will come out and, and, and talk to your CTEC class and, and tell you my, you know, I talk a little bit about my story about how I grew up with nothing and how we can make and how you could, you know, be that person. And, um, if I, I travel a lot, if I'm in your area, I'll do it for free. Um, not a problem or I'll make it work. So, um, yes, absolutely. Tim, great, great question. Well, I really feel like we're scratching the surface on some of these topics, but in the interest of time, we probably should wrap it up. I mean, Paul, would you uh, be interested in jumping on a podcast somewhere down the road here in the near future? Oh, um, you know the answer to that. This yeah. is my passion, helping people, helping the community is my passion. I And I like to talk, as you guys can probably tell. I have so much more to say and so much more. You know, I didn't get to learn from you guys today, right? I, I didn't get to hear, you know, and I got to listen to some of your podcasts, but I would love to. I, I would love to um, give you my insight and hear insight from you because it's, it's, it's important what you were doing and, and hopefully what we're doing. Well, great. Thank you so much for the time and all the great information you shared today. I mean, it's really, it's really, really, really good stuff. You know, and, and thank you guys. I know we said it three times and thank you for what you do. <laughs>